Is this the real life, or is this just a fictional reality? Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fictional Reality, episode number three in season two. Uh, This week I got to talk to the creators behind Society of Curiosities, and the owner of Kauai Escape Rooms in the island of Hawaii. They were super lovely, um, Michelle and Yasin. They, we have a lot of shared interests in um, terms of creating experiences that are guided by narrative and creating a world that immerses the puzzle players and the explorers and the audience in a world that's believable. This is something that has been really important to me, is creating puzzle experiences where you sit there and go, I understand in the world of the narrative, why this puzzle has been created. So we have a lovely discussion about their journey as escape room owners, enthusiasts, and then the creators of um, the Society of Curiosity, which is a mystery mail-out subscription service. I hope you enjoy. Without much further ado, here is Michelle and Yasin. Michelle and Yassine, thank you very much for coming on to Fictional Reality, uh, a show where we talk about experienced designers, puzzle makers, and escape room enthusiasts, and try and sort of get to the bottom of what is an experience. Uh, Welcome, come on, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, who you are and what you do. Thanks for having us. Uh, I'm Yassine. Michelle. Uh, we're the uh, owners of Kauai Escape Room and Society of Curiosities. Um, the journey. The journey. <laughs> Where did it all begin? It all began in Montreal. Uh, that's where we played our first escape game. Ooh, and, which, uh, which one was it? It was a maze escape in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, I am not a gamer. Like, mm-hmm. Monopoly is too much for me. Uh, you know, like I'll take a game that's a party game. Like that's that's as far as I went in gaming. And yeah. he's a big like D and Der and stuff. So his friend was like, "You should play an escape game. You're really gonna like it." And I was I was very skeptical because mm. it's just not it's just not me. Like the gaming thing, right? And, and how, sure enough, <laughs> how long ago was was this experience? That was 2015. Oh, so when they were brand new and um, yeah in the states there. yeah it was very early on and then sure enough we play one and uh michelle was like as soon as we're done when's the next one can we play another one um so yeah. and, and that's and that's it like it's kind of like what you talk about in your podcast you know it's it's about immersion it's about creating other worlds and that's mm-hmm. what hooked me mm. it wasn't that it was a game it was that like for an hour i was somewhere else i was someone else and somewhere else right it's fascinating to note that um, escape rooms, when I was growing up, you know, I always had this dream because you, you see these great movies and like the Goonies or something, you think, I just wish I could be on that movie set as well as I wish I could just be in that, that room itself. And escape rooms really scratch that itch, don't they? They do. Yeah. Um, so for us, so much so that um, we wanted to share that experience with our friends and we started building games for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an Airstream trailer, so we built uh, Witch's Den for Halloween that year, and cool. then uh, Valentine's Day. Serial <laughs> uh, killer. Serial killer <laughs> yeah. for Valentine's Day <laughs> on <Yes>. topic. <laughs> um, and then uh, Michelle, um, all our friends loved it. Uh, we had maybe 60 friends like come through uh, for mm-hmm. each game that we set up at home, and 
And like friends of friends, because we really don't have 60 friends on Ireland. True, true. Okay, so word started to get around. And were people like coming to you of like, hey, I've heard there's like this this experience yeah. like it's underground escape room basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> yo uh yo kid you want to uh you want to play a puzzle thing? <laughs> yeah, it's a little sketchy yeah, yeah. <laughs> come into my house <laughs> yeah yeah i'll lock the door and then you have to try and find a way out <laughs> yeah like, oh, we need fun. to cut this part no, just joking. <laughs> mm. so uh, people so it was catching on and people were getting excited and then yeah what? And we have fun bringing it to people because, you know, we live on, on an island. We live in such an isolated spot that no one had heard of an escape game. Right. So it was pretty cool that we were the one to introduce it to them. Yeah, we started talking about opening a brick and mortar business. Um, Michelle thought there was a market for it. I thought there were, there was not going to be any market for it. So um, to prove her wrong i'm doing air quotes here uh for people listening uh i set up a fake website with fake games and a fake booking system to to show that no one was going to ask for this and sure enough with no advertising no marketing uh within within a week there were people trying to book our fake games um so that's the best story yeah although it sounds like you was there a kernel of curiosity for you your scene of just like maybe maybe this will actually get some interest. Yeah. Once I saw there was interest, I was really excited about it. Yeah. Right. And cause you came from, you were, a, you, you've been running a, a successful D and D blog. Is that right? Yeah. From 2007 to 2010, I was uh, running a D and D blog by the end. It had um, over 10,000 daily readers. Wow. So, and, um, so you're, I seen from the website, you, you sort of like, you've gotten into the story. You're a bit of a, like an, maybe let's say expert storyteller in some ways, like you know how to craft a story to engage players as a lot of game mastering is, is sort of about doing that, like sending players on a story that they themselves can play. And you see, yes. you come from a background of film and psychology. So oh, Michelle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yes. You guys seem like a shoo-in for the perfect two people to create an immersive puzzle-driven narrative experience. Um, I would love to find out a little bit from each of you about how um, you've seen your storytelling sort of experience, your D&D campaign um, experience fed into how you design your experiences. And mm-hmm. Michelle, if you could tell us a little bit about how psychology has helped inform you of your process, I would love to know that stuff. Sure thing. Well, from, um, from the tabletop role-playing um, background, I think what I brought um, was mostly the fact that the stars are the players. You're telling a story together, but ultimately um, they are the hero. They are the center of the story. They have to feel good about themselves. Mm. But it also has to be challenging. If everything's a gimme, it's no fun. So. Yeah. Um, that's really what escape rooms are about. Are about. There's uh, no other hobby that combines like a challenge, like an escape room, really, in mm-hmm. um, in the popular hobbies. Sorry, and then cat oh. is um. <laughs> Cat's got some opinions on the matter. Cat's <laughs> decided he's going to be part of this. Um, and then um, crafting um, crafting stories that have uh, puzzles and challenges within, but that still fit the narrative is also something you do a lot of in role-playing games so Mm. uh, that helped a lot 
Yeah. And then, um, so my degree is psychology and education and I was a teacher for 10 years. Hmm. So like those kind of go hand in hand. Um, yeah. you know, you're always kind of like what you think said that you want to put the person first, just like when I was teaching, it's about the students, but everyone has their own needs and you have to meet them. Hmm. So when we design games, we really think about multiple intelligences and like, how will everyone approach a puzzle that there's just no, there's no one way people will look at a puzzle. You, you probably know this as you design your game. Yeah. It's insane that you think you have this most perfect puzzle and then you're like, Oh man, like I have to change it so much. So much. <laughs> yeah. I had an experience once where I had this thing called a date night treasure hunt and you have to start in a place uh, we have in Brisbane called Fortitude Valley. And for whatever reason, the players who, who had this particular, so this was like an envelope you buy from me and then, um, and then they would open that at the place. And it was just like this pre-made uh, adventure for them to go on. And anyway, somehow they missed the memo. They, they, I, I don't know how they exactly did it. Cause there was a map there that says Fortitude Valley, but I saw them, I was selling these at the markets and, um, and I, I saw them a, a few weeks later. I was like, oh, hey, how did you go? Did you enjoy the date night? They were like, yeah, we had a great time. We, we were a bit confused about a few things, but, you know, we did it and we had a really good time. And a few things they said didn't add up. And I realized they were in a place called the Botanic Gardens, which was nowhere near Fortitude Valley. And this experience led them to six specific locations, two bars and a few different shops to do all this stuff. They had somehow found equivalents of all the clues they'd interpreted the clues in certain ways and went oh this must be this over here and they said we had a great time we loved it we thought it was awesome and i was like you 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 didn't even play it like you just (laughs) essentially made your own adventure based on these like rough riddles so it was just phenomenal to me the amount of interpretation that people can have to to a puzzle or a clue and, and that's, that's just amazing. It's just like that, that, that um, concept that people want stories. People want to make up stories in their head. Mm. So it's like that experiment where you give them disjointed pictures and they will stitch a story together. It's like the most natural thing we do. So your mm. people wanted that story. They wanted that puzzle. And there you go. Like they designed <laughs> a new game for you. Yeah, right. And from this experience, <laughs> this is where I realized like the the joy people get is, is not, is, you know, you like, you might have uh, two items and people will be given, just like you said, you know, you'll be given this and then this, the joy people have is when they connect those two items. And it's actually like their own creation is part of the thing that they Mm -hmm. enjoy when they experience um, something like that, especially something that's a bit abstract or esoteric. Yes. Um, So with that in mind, how, I want to move on. I want to ask about Society of Curiosities um, and your mail out adventure, but I would also like to know how do you go about designing an experience? What's your, what's your process from idea to creation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we start obviously with a theme. So we have like kind of a general story and theme in mind. And then we go to like the big, we call them um, cinematic moments. Great. So kind of like in a movie, those big, amazing things that happen to the character, 
those are the moments that we put into place and design puzzles around to start. Yeah, we want to think of uh, what is going to be memorable, what is going to be surprising, shocking, uh, what is going to make an impression, and mm. craft everything backwards from there. Yeah, We do a lot of research on the theme first before deciding what those moments could be or should be. Um, because not all themes are created equal. Sometimes uh, it's a great theme, but you can't build it or it's too big and you can't like fit it nicely in a story. You need to narrow it down or choose something else. Mm. So a lot of research goes into the theme and then the moments. And then we craft a bunch of puzzles uh, that fit the theme. And then we pick and choose those that can make a coherent whole. Hmm. Well, something that um, seems to shine through on your website is your importance on making it believable that the puzzles are there, like that the puzzles serve the narrative and that you're involved in something. Cause in, and I see this in, in, a, in Australia here, escape rooms are relatively new. We're about four years behind the States and Canada and um, even more than in Europe. And you'll get, you, you'll do an escape room that's perfectly fine, but it's just like, who made these puzzles? Like mm -hmm. We had a jail, there's a jailbreak escape room and um, it, it's very fun. It's you know, puzzles are very clever, but you sort of go that there can be no puzzle maker in this situation because I'm now going onto the security camera desk and there's a puzzle embedded into like the buttons on the security camera. And it's like, I thought I was breaking out a jet. Like it just, you lose um, narrative cohesion there. So do you feel, how do you, I guess that is a constraint for you guys, but in the end pays off because mm -hmm. you're, people can play the story as much as the puzzles. Yeah, we spend a lot of time saying like, does this make sense? Does this fit in the story? Mm. Um, so between like Society of Curiosities and our physical escape room, it's the same thing. Uh, it's the... I, you probably do this too, maybe, is like, we make a whole story, we have all the backstories, so everything that we do has to make sense to us. Like, the, the player and the, the player might not even know the whole backstory, mm. but as long as we know it and it makes sense to us, it's a go. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it just, it just has to be there or else it's just kind of random elements all thrown together, like, oh, you have this, and how did it get there? Like, mm. just kind of you need to know these things to make the story feel good. Yes, and it might... we have a lot of... Oh, you go. Uh, we have a lot of uh, fun ideas and clever puzzles that do not pass the but why <laughs> test, which is really frustrating when, you, when you, uh, you're in the flow and you think you have something good and you just can't mm. really find a good excuse for it to be in the game. Do you ever get lost on those trails? I know I do when I'm um, coming up with something and it's like, oh, and a treasure map will be so cool here if they find a treasure map. And then if they go over here and they pull this out, they can put that on top of the treasure map. And then that is actually going to link up to the, and all of a sudden you start going, oh wait, no, this is, I really want to do this, but it's just, I'm too far down this weird trail that no one, that's not going to make any sense to anyone. Do you get caught in that? Definitely. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> and, you know, um, with Society of Curiosities, it's really interesting because we have like an infinite world, but also a very finite world mm. because we mail out tangible items and we want people to like use those tangible items in the game. And so they can go, they can go to websites and we can really expand their world, but they don't have that 
intangible aspect. Mm. So there's a limit to what we can give them or what they can really do without feeling like a video game because right. escape games, you don't want them to go full circle. Like started off as video games and people started to do these online escape games and mm. then it became real. And like, we're kind of in the danger now with all these new games and avatars and stuff of kind of like going right back to where we started. Mm-hmm. But video games do it better. <laughs> like Every time, every time. And I remember playing, what was it? I think it was my, oh, my housemate was playing Zelda earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And I just had this like bit of a sinking feeling as I was watching it because I was like, video games hold this special place in the explorer puzzle person game's heart where they can explore in the depths of a volcano and, and do all these intricate puzzles. And so there is this line of like, you want to make it like a video game and that video games walk players through and increase difficulty as you go along. But you also want to have that, that tangibility that makes them really separate where the player is literally playing with the, uh, the ephemera. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, like there's only so far you can take them down those series with the items you have, like an escape room, a physical escape room, you can actually create items. And like whatever you said about finding a key and placing it here and doing this, that can be done in an escape room. Mm, but mm -hmm. when you, but when you have like a paper thing that you're selling or something we're sending out, there are limits on what you can send. Yeah. Yeah. But then the the upside of that is uh, because there's no game master around. It's not a contrived, constrained physical space. We can blend the uh, real world with uh, the fictional one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's one of the uh, things that people uh, have been telling us about Society of Curiosities. I was like, I wasn't sure if this was real or not. Uh, I, s- I saw is- that review on your, on your website there. Yeah. And so. this has been an angle that I really want to go down as, or like have been over the past few years is, how to create this narrative that then, you know, this is what fictional reality is, is that you can't see that line between the fiction and the reality. And when people go from going, oh yeah, this is a game. There's that moment of like, and I want to instill this experience in people that one second of like, oh, wait a minute, hang on. Something, something larger is happening here. Something real is happening. And I'm not quite sure if it, where it sits in the thing and that, I know I'm a sort of a, a bit of a, a sadist for that destabilization <laughs> in people just to be like question reality. Like it, um, it can really be played with. Um, this, yeah. this week we had uh, one player that uh, kept uh, chatting with the characters in the game uh, for uh, a whole 24 hours after the game was over. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> this is uh, one of your society of curiosity games. Yes. yes. So we have, um, we have characters in the game that you can respond to. Mm. Um, so he's a, he's a programmer. So he's built these, pro- he, these characters and responses. And as people interact with them, we continue to add responses. So they actually have a bigger and bigger wow. knowledge of responses. So like one character is like this kind of professor type who helps with some things. And we've even built in like his favorite movies and like different, different responses. Should someone ask, there they are. Wow. Now that's, well, tell us a little bit about um, the Society of Curiosities um, in a bit more detail. What is it and how did you come to, to, make, to be making this? Great. So uh, yeah, the Society of Curiosities is a series of adventures by mail. So uh, mystery in a box type games mm-hmm. um, that um, 
when you subscribe, you get a package in the mail every three months um, with, um, from the society that asks you to investigate a case. Um, so you start with um, tangible items. Um, we take great care in making them seem uh, period appropriate. So if it's mm -hmm. uh, old papers that were discovered, they're aged. Uh, if you get modern magazine papers, we actually get entire magazines printed and then rip <laughs> out the pages we need for the game. So, uh, and then uh, what seems like a simple investigation inevitably grows bigger as you start doing research online. You may have to test your team on the ground and uh, uh, fellow researchers that can help you look online. You may have to Google things, mm. so very open-ended. Yeah. Um, and uh, eventually you will find a curiosity, an item that was sought after by the society, and that will inevitably lead to more adventures. Cool. So you've got this sort of like the meta story of every three months you get a new like curiosity to be discovered. Mm -hmm. um, and each of these stand as somewhat standalone um, adventures. Yeah. One of like, we, you know, before entering into this market, we did a lot of play with other games and I just couldn't get into the ones that came every month, like as an installment, because I felt it was so hard to like, finish, a, finish a store, finish a element of a story and then wait mm -hmm. a month and be like, Oh, wait, where was I? And like, it's that kind of upstart that was mm. really challenging. So some people love it, but for us, we really wanted just kind of, like you said, just a complete play by itself. But within a year of four mailings, there's an overarching story right. that um, is told throughout the mailings. Which I think is really important in, um, we got to adapt to the world we live in now. Like when I was growing up, you had to wait a week for the new TV show. <laughs> Um, I had to wait another week to find out what was in that hatch and lost. Um, <laughs> but we don't, we don't live in that world anymore. And people do, I found a similar thing, um, looking at this, you know, detective mystery that is this, uh, element in a, in a series. And I found myself disincentivized to, to get it because I thought, oh, I don't want to get one and then have to wait. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that's really smart in creating a, a standalone story, but that, hints at a, a larger perspective um, yeah and like like all those tv shows of the past did it i mean like all the detective stories that you we've watched on tv they're standalone but then there's like that drama that carries over or something else and yeah right yeah it's kind of like that wheel has already been created we don't have to like we just get to kind of follow that model that's right yeah a lot of the answers are, are there waiting for us to pick them up in these other mediums and formats which I was talking um, uh, during another interview about the interesting thing about escape rooms and these puzzle adventures that they've come into the world after TV shows and after video games, yet they use um, technology that was invented long before and some don't even use any technology at all. It's a fascinating phenomenon that these seem to be a response to the digital online world um, and yet like they weren't invented after books were invented, people weren't doing escape rooms after Treasure Island was invented. Um, I don't really have a question attached to that, just a curiosity. No, I mean, it is, it is fascinating, isn't it? Mm. That we want to go get locked in a room for an hour, put away our cell phones, sometimes lock up our cell phones and just like, yeah, ourselves. look, that's one of my biggest um, sales angles is when I'm, you know, sell, sell my stuff at the markets and people are very interested in the concept. 
when I start going down the angle of like, look, put away your phone for a while. Um, this will help you. You don't need your phone or anything. People sort of go, oh yeah, I'd like to do that. In my head, I'm thinking, you know, you could just turn your phone off, but uh, <laughs> hey, look, if you want to pay me to justify putting your phone away, I will happily take your money. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so we share something in common that we work with paper and um, I don't have a mail out mystery, but uh, something I'm that really intrigues me is the, the creative constraints. Um, and you touched on it before of creating a, a tangible product that you mail out and there are limits there. What is your sort of industrial or scaling design process? How, how have you come and do you make everything in house yourself printed out yourself and, and send it all out. Um, what was your process like for that? So the process is kind of boring. I mean, just look at the numbers and we know, we know how, what price point we can go up to for the cost of our goods. That's the boring part. Um, well, when you say that, is that price point, um, what your customers are willing to pay or, um, well, we actually just told them what they were going to pay. <laughs> so it's, it's both, right? Um, so we, when we wanted, when we started uh, designing this and uh, we figured out what we wanted to do, we realized pretty quickly that we were not going to be able to hit the price point of most games out there, which sometimes as low as $10 per month. Yeah. So we're in the $39 per three months range. So it's still, we wanted to stay under 50 because that's a price point that will make people balk. 50 yeah. bucks at a time but um so that was kind of our range and then uh so that gives us a certain amount that we can spend on the game itself mm. um yeah and then um so it's a blend of printing in-house and also outsourcing so we outsource all of our magazines so they're actually real magazines like you said um there's also tangible items in the game that we had to outsource so um mm -hmm. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you probably can't see it very well, but we have this coin that he's holding up and it's a pirate coin. Cool. So this was a fun one because we, we did a draft ourselves and then we hired a designer to design like to make it look good. And then we actually outsourced to China and they had to 3D render it uh, and make a mold and cast it. And all the while we're crossing our fingers and being like, I've never outsourced to China before. I hope we get something. Yeah, right. <laughs> So that was that was interesting. Um, so I think we'll, we'll we'll continue doing that um, as we scale larger. There will be certain things that can't be done in house. We did learn that printing is very costly when you're just using your printer. Um, <laughs> it, was, yeah. it says two thousand runs, but they don't mean that when you're doing full color images. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two thousand yeah, runs like, of like a three hundred word paragraph in black and white. Yeah, exactly. Like those numbers, those calculations were way off. So that mm -hmm. was an interesting learning point for us. Yeah, but part of our process requires a certain amount of things we do in house because we keep tweaking the games and the puzzles after they are released. Um, as we get feedback from players and we can also see which hints are the most requested mm. um, and how people reply to some puzzles because it, they, they chat with the characters in the game. So mm -hmm. um, we've made, you know, the last month, five or six small adjustments. And then once the game stops changing, then we plan on outsourcing a lot of the stuff we're still doing in-house at the moment. Yeah. So if we had outsourced just a huge run of like several thousand of one item, mm. um, we wouldn't be able to make those small tweaks. 
that kind of just are just going to make the game even better. Yeah. And they can take um, a good or great experience up into like a really memorable one and mm-hmm. sort of get that customer to come back to really trust you actually. Yes. Um, and that's something we were worried about as we started, because like when you own an escape room, when you create the designs for an escape room, you get to see thousands of people playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, even with employees, you can get their feedback or you can just pop in from now and again, just to see the games. But we were worried about this, that once you send, once you send it out, people have it and they may say something, they might not say something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, I'm really happy that he figured out how to, monitor the hint access and keep logs of all of the text just to kind of see how people are playing the game yeah very smart to get that um sort of like passive feedback um from the players there where you're not asking for their feedback which which gives them you have to pass out when you ask someone for feedback um you sort of have to put it through a filter and understand what they're saying but when it's this like hint system it's a bit more of a genuine, they're not trying to impress you. They're not trying to critique you that it's just their interaction with the game itself. Um, yes. yes. And it hasn't happened in this case, but it's happened a lot in our uh, physical escape rooms in the past where uh, you have accidental red herrings in there. If people follow a logical path and it leads them to the wrong answer, you know, the game has to change. There is no, no option or yeah. that has to become the right answer or, uh, you know, acceptable but um this is definitely something that we want to avoid yeah and i i found that like my journey and sort of what's humbled me with watching people play my experiences is you you do want to sort of go well it's just this player you know but (laughs) you know as time has gone on even if one person has a certain reaction it's like that reaction even if it's the most illogical jump they could make is a super legitimate reaction. And if you want to run at scale, then one person is usually indicative of like a thousand people in the world at very least mm-hmm. um, that are all going to do the same thing. So you really have to take on that thing. And if something is a great puzzle and works really well and has all these intricate parts, but people are jumping to these random conclusions, you've got to take them on board and go, okay, there's something wrong with the design here. Oh, and it's so humbling. It's such, it's such a humbling <laughs> aspect to be like, oh, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. But it, it is, it's us. And like, as you said, you have to take your game from good to great to hopefully amazing. Mm. And those are the steps. You have to sacrifice your ego and your beautiful puzzles uh, when you get that feedback. <laughs> there was one puzzle we <laughs> loved, just loved in an escape room where you had to reach into a compartment that you could not see into but you Mm. could reach inside with both hands and see that there were carvings inside and take some paper and some charcoal and make a rubbing to see what was written in it Uh, we loved it we play tested it our first play test group got it and did it and and that was the only group ever (laughs) so before play test ended it was like you know what this is too hard so just no one will get it yeah and you have to say goodbye to it yeah. <laughs> Still have fond memories of feeling <laughs> clever about that. Hey, uh, I've done the same thing. I, um, one time, oh, oops, I'm going all over the place. But I, um, I, I love the chatterbox, you know, these old things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I created an experience once where, you know, 
there was a coded sequence and the coded sequence would like teach you how to sort of do this. And then it would mm-hmm. land on a certain point and then there'd be a hole in the paper and there was just too many steps. If you got it, it was cool. It was like, Oh wow. When I play tested it and I did it on a hot day. Oh man. I'll never, I'll never forget seeing my friends like an hour after I thought they would arrive at the final destination. I'm waiting for them. I'm messaging them and they're just like, we don't get it. And I'm tell them how to do it. And they still don't get it. I see them walking down the street and they're just like sweating. (laughs) And it was just like, yeah, okay. I'm really sorry. My, my own cleverness got the better of me. And I actually give, gave you an unpleasant experience as a result of it. And I remember from then on, it was like one one step is enough. You know, I don't need to go down four different steps because no one thinks like I do. Um, yeah. People are just you know, it's want- amazing is friends keep letting us play test on them. <laughs> because honestly, like, I, I think we make brilliant puzzles, but we really don't. We're just good at refining our puzzles. Right. You know, and like right. the poor first friends, like you kind of have to go through your list and be like, okay, who's, who's play tested the first time? Because you have to kind of be like, okay, they're going to be the last one to test because it's just such an awful experience. Like there's no perfect game in the beginning. Yeah. Every time I make a puzzle, no matter how, how like small it is, I'll be lucky if the puzzle it works and it's just difficult. But most times I've made a spelling error or I've done so, the puzzles broken basically um, when I give it to them and my old housemates that they, they were great sports and just every time would jump in and I would come back half an hour later, be like, how are you going? They're like, look, I'm just really confused about this, this here. And I think I've got this. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That you got the right answer. Um, I just said, I set the padlock wrong. Sorry. And every time we'll come back and I'm like, always toby was his name i'm like toby i'm sorry thank you so much for playing my puzzles and one time i'll give you one that works from the get-go but (laughs) at the moment you're testing so there's no there's the pavlovian response here is that i'm just gonna hurt you every time and they keep saying yes i don't i don't i don't get it i would run if it was me coming to them with like the very first round of a puzzle Mm. i'd be like oh i'm so sorry i'm really busy (laughs) yeah i'm grateful i I I have yeah, a friend no of getting out the gate. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. It, it's, and that's the thing you as the designer as well, your, your mind is in a different place. Um, it's in, well, for me anyway, uh, this might be similar for you. It's with the flow of the experience. And the, as you sort of said earlier, the puzzles come as like an augment to the, to the narrative of the experience. And so it's likely for me that the puzzles are going to have some flaws in them because I'm like, oh yeah, it's just solve the word search and you'll get the answer. But I want to see what it's like when you figure out that this links to this and that's what I'm looking for. And they say, well, the word search is broken. And you're like, "Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. And they're like, well, now my experience is ruined. (laughs) And you're like, ah, you didn't play test correctly. I wasn't looking for that. But thanks for the, you found the the little problem there. Um, uh, So... What are some tips and tricks for people who would like to design their own puzzles, especially during quarantine where um, people are looking for things to do indoors? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips and tricks for just the the average player, um, someone who's just getting into this exciting industry um, for how would they go about making an experience for people? I'm sure you have something to start. 
Yes. Um, one thing that's fairly easy to do is to give people uh, free wins, uh, gimmies, like super simple puzzles, uh, but especially at the beginning of the game to get them, give them confidence mm -hmm. in themselves, in you, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, just get them going and then uh, have the, the meatier puzzles maybe in the middle. And you also want to end quick. You don't want to end them being just like exhausted from one giant puzzle at the end. So once they go over that giant puzzle or the most difficult one, give them one or two quick wins to finish so they're going to feel great about themselves. Right. All right. Um, well, so I, I listened or I watched your video on YouTube about like the buttons hiding little pieces throughout the house. Oh, uh, yeah, I yeah. I love that. Um, so I kind of want to piggyback off of that. And one thing that I love to do is just like really novel things. So when we design our games, we try to think of something that's really going to surprise people, even if they're a seasoned puzzler, something mm. that surprises. So I don't want to reinvent the wheel because you have a great format. I wouldn't, I would tell people to follow your format. So link to the video now, <laughs> follow your format because it's wonderful about because it's so simple. But some fun things are like you can freeze something in an ice cube. Um, you wouldn't do that in a, like in a shorter term game because mm -hmm. you don't have the time, but like when you're in a home, you can do that. Um, also like putting something in a balloon and making them pop it is a fun experience. Right. So like these really ideas. tactile, physical <laughs> experiences. Yeah, exactly. Um, what else? Like, I also like things like magic ink or black lights. Um, yeah. those things are very inexpensive. You can buy and get mailed to you. So I love to just integrate the novel into a hunt. So just find one thing and put it kind of in the middle to the end of your game. So it's like this really 